Hi, and welcome to The Final Report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and author and research specialist Tracy Ellis to discuss real live cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. As many of you probably already know, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we here at The Final Report are very passionate about our mission to help victims escape and recover from slavery. Uh, Before we go any further, I want to point out that human trafficking isn't limited to sexual nature. Uh, To the contrary, trafficking humans means being sold and or forced to perform many different forms of labor. Um, often without pay or even under brutal circumstances like being beaten or raped on a regular basis. And while most people uh, think that young women and children are the only victims of trafficking, nobody is exempt to the dangers of human trafficking. Also, human trafficking is not only a worldwide issue, but it's also been an issue since the beginning of time. You would think that by this day and age, we would have risen above it, but unfortunately, I believe it will always be a problem. Um, Today, however, due to the growing issue of sex trafficking in the United States, I'd like to focus on some of the ways that people are lured into sex trafficking. Just as there are many different forms of human trafficking, there are also different types of human trafficking. Um, There are those who willingly engage and maintain control while doing so, and then there are those who are sold unwillingly and made dependent on another individual. Uh, Some ways that a person can obtain power over another individual is by either kidnapping them, holding them hostage, uh, providing financial support such as food, housing, etc. in exchange for sexual favors, or even the right to sell them to other individuals and keeping the victim high on drugs and incapacitated in order to force them into submission. Uh, Tracy, you had an interview today with uh, a survivor. Would you like to share that with our listeners? Yes, and that was a perfect segue into that. Um, The survivor that I spoke to actually helps other survivors, and she was taking a survivor to a doctor's appointment right after we um, started talking. She's another way that these people maintain control is she has had eight children. Each one of them were by the person that held her, um, that pimped her, and um, they threatened to kill the child. Oh, God. Threatened to kill the child. That's the way they maintain control of these. She was what was called a sister wife. Oh, wow. Which, uh, not to be mixed up with uh, the reality wife. show. <laughs> right. And that type of sister wives. But this is a, a, a sex trafficking type. And it was her husband that actually got her in, pimped her out to begin with. And they wow. threatened the, the life of the child. So. That was a pretty uh, eye-opening experience on that aspect, that these people don't just go in with drugs, which is a lot they do, but there are threats of harm to a loved one. And these they actually purposely get their person, their 
their girl pregnant so that they can maintain that control. There are several, not just, these are just kids that this happens to. This, these are older adults. And the, um, the aftercare for an older adult is extremely rare. There's, there's no aftercare for these people that have not only um, gone into these horrible situations and gotten themselves out, but when they go through PTSD, uh, there's no care for them after that. You know, there is for the younger, but not for the older. There, there's a history component to sex trafficking that I think is important to understand because you, you had mentioned in your opening that it's been around a long time, and it has. Um, there was a move in Tennessee probably about 15 years ago to try to make, maybe 10 years ago, to try to make prostitution legal. And the move was based on the Supreme Court holding, and I think the case was Lawrence versus Texas, where they found uh, sodomy to be legal, that the state of Texas was not, per was not permitted to uh, pass a law outlawing uh, sodomy being defined as uh, anything other than penal vaginal penetrative sex uh, was sodomy. A blowjob would be sodomy. Uh, anal sex would be sodomy. Uh, it it was an anti-homosexual uh, attempt to let legislate out homosexuality or, or, or lesbianism, alternative lifestyles. And what that was actually being argued, I think Ted Cruz argued it for the state of Texas. I think he was the attorney general for the state of Texas in Lawrence v. Texas. Uh, and the Supreme Court asked him, said, you know, what, you know, we have ruled that people have a right to privacy in uh, their bedroom, in essence, that what they do um, in their sex lives is should be free from government uh, sanction. And they ruled that, of course, and that was one of the key tenets of Roe versus Wade, that you can't outlaw abortions because if you outlaw abortions, then you're outlawing people having extramarital or out of marital heterosexual relations, uh, which is not a role of government. The government can't prohibit that type of conduct. And so the, the thinking and in, in, in the way this gets back to, con and forgive me, this is a long trip around back to prostitution, but Roe versus Wade established that even though it's not in the Constitution, that inherently in the Constitution is a right to privacy, right? Well, then Lawrence versus Texas said that you have a right to have sex with a willing partner uh, so long, uh, even in, uh, in ways that are not conducive to um, having children, Right, you can have you you can have uh, sexual contact with a willing person uh, in your bedroom without Texas being able to prohibit it. Uh, well, if you if look at the base components of prostitution, and uh, in your garden variety prostitution case, you have a willing John and a willing uh, businesswoman who is who are having sex uh, for money. The only difference between prostitution and the case that was before the court in Lawrence v. Texas 
and the court's ruling in Roe v. Wade is the is the money, the exchange of money. You know, other than that, it's the same thing. This was the argument being proffered by people trying to make prostitution legal, right? Uh, and so, um, uh, what happened is, is that I think that Tennessee was getting pretty close where they were going to uh, legalize prostitution. And somebody said, well, now, wait a minute. Some of these women that are being involved in these sex acts are not really willing participants. They're, they're, they're being sex trafficked. So I'm very familiar with the legal arguments that were proffered to try to, in, in the move to create, uh, I'll tell you the truth. I, I actually was hired early in my legal career to go lobby on the Hill against them making prostitution legal by people that owned whorehouses. They wanted it to remain, they wanted it to remain illegal because if it's legal, it's taxed. Uh, well, anyway, there was a mayor in Nashville that got elected mayor that basically said, I'm sick and tired of Nashville being the Sodom and Gomorrah of the South. Nashville, Nashville had one of the healthiest, most vibrant uh, prostitution businesses. It was really thriving. In fact, you couldn't drive down 8th Avenue South back in the day. I mean, there were door-to-door -door, uh, houses of ill repute up and down 8th Avenue South in Nashville. And it was something that there wasn't any, there wasn't any real prosecutorial um, uh, vigor by the police department to prosecute it. It was kind of a game. You know, they'd come to the whorehouse, they'd bust the whorehouse, they'd, take, they'd arrest all the women. The, it was a misdemeanor offense. They'd, they'd arrest the guy running the whorehouse. You'd go in there. You'd, they'd take all the cash. They'd, they'd seize all the money, right? And then you'd come down there and say, why don't you drop the charges uh, in exchange for just keeping the money that you recovered? And they'd go, cool, do it. We're, they'll go, sure, we'll, we'll do it. That, that was kind of the game. And then you were back open the next day. And then six months later, you'd get what? you'd get right again, you know, and that here's the thing, you know, from a, from a moral standpoint, people can say, you know, that it's, it's wrong or whatever, but, but the real issue is the danger involved. Funny Ted Cruz story. Ted Cruz, like I said, was, was arguing before the United States Supreme court, the Lawrence v. Texas case. This is my understanding. Okay. And it's my understanding that the court looks at him and says, Mr. Cruz, why is it that you believe that Texas has a right to pass a law to, that, that outlaws and prohibits um, uh, homosexual people, for instance, that are consenting adults from sharing intimacy in the privacy of their bedroom? And he said, well, it flies against the mores of the majority of Texans. And one of the Supreme Court justices leaned back and said, Mr. Cruz, when have we ever in the history of this court ruled in favor of prohibiting freedom because the action undertaken uh, flew in the face of the mores of the, of the a majority of any people? I mean, there was a time in this country when... Uh, um, not owning uh, a black person uh, flew in the face of the mores 
of a majority of Southerners. <laughs> he said, you know, when in the history of America has, well, the majority of the people want this, so we, ha- so we have to do it. When has that ever been the rule of law in this country? Because, because you know, it's not. I mean, it's, it's not. I mean, the rule of law in, in America has always been the will of the majority with respect of the minority, without interfering with the minority's right to the free exercise of their beliefs or their speech or the, any number of their other personal liberties. So I, I just, I, so when you said the morals, I had to. This isn't about morals. This isn't about what I believe in or what you believe in or what anybody believes in for that matter. I mean, if you've got a, an entire town that believes against homosexuality and you have one homosexual in that town, homosexuality does not need to be illegal just because all but one think it's wrong. It's not about, you know, it's not about morals. It's not about legality. It's about danger. And it's about the victims. It's about the people who are being um, exploited and being, you know, the children. Um, I, you know, and, and I, and I do agree with a lot of what you're saying and, you know, with going back to the dangers and I don't want to get too terribly far off on that on on this because it's not what this podcast is meant to be about but um as far as like sex workers um you know again because of the fact that it's not about morality you know there there could be some safety and regulation when it comes to sex working however However, you know, I mean, and, and, and I know this is going to be a very controversial thing for me to say, but I am just going to say it when it comes to an adult woman or even an adult male that decides that they want to sell their body to pay their bills, that's their prerogative. And in a regulated way where they're tested for disease and, you know, treated like any other person, you know, selling a, a product then that could be something that would actually make the industry safer. Well, you you know, you mentioned disease. That's another argument that Texas tried to argue with Mr. Cruz was they tried to argue that the reason we need to outlaw this, Your Honor, is because of the spread of of HIV and the spread of communicable disease. And and the judges found that, you know, heterosexual activity uh, spreads it too. And I'm not even talking specifically of homosexual activity. We're just talking about, you know, in general, promiscuity. And, uh, and, and people in a sex working industry who are spreading disease, right. um, either knowingly or unknowingly. But I'll say this, I'll say this about sex trafficking though. Uh, the women, the vast majority of women that I knew that were in the trade, because obviously I defended women charged with prostitution charges because of what I did for a living. So I knew, I knew a lot of women who plied their wares, if you will, in that particular trade, the vast majority of them were supporting drug habits. Right. And were, were the people running these whorehouses plying them with narcotics in order to get them to stay there and work the shifts? Well, they probably were. I don't know. You know, when you're an attorney, and I've told you and Tracy this many times, when you're an attorney, you're not a social worker. I mean, I'm not there to get to the bottom of why Sally Joe's working at Dawn's Whirlpool. You know, that that's that's not my function, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but there's, it's very possible that, the, that uh, it probably is true that they were being plied with uh, drugs in order to make them more uh, pliable, if you will, to 
conducting that particular trade. Well, sex trafficking, weapons trafficking, and drug trafficking, they, they all go hand in hand. And just like, you know, how we, we saw um, with Bush's war on drugs that it, it drives the industry deeper underground, and the deeper underground it gets, the more uh, violence we get, the more... Um, the more dangerous the industry becomes altogether. So a war on these industries only makes matters worse. Regulation is where the safety is. However, you know, when it comes to, again, going back to, you know, because when we talk about sex trafficking, we could make this either an argument about, you know, why sex working should be, you know, legal for those who actually choose it and, you know, make that their trade. But then, you know, the real issue and what really needs to be addressed is when we're talking about, for instance, this recent bust um, out of St. Petersburg, Florida, where you had five men and one woman who had been holding a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old boy, both boys, hostage they had introduced them to masochism. They were treating them as sex slaves and they were selling them, you know, they were prostituting these boys out. Um, they had lured them through uh, an online game. Now, this is where, you know, this is, this is what really needs to be addressed. This is, you know, this is a whole different animal than, you know, a grown adult who decides to pay their bill, their bills with sex. This is another issue, another element of it. And this is where you know, the, my, my real rage and my real passion comes out is when we're talking about that was one of what, what I was trying to get to was the game through video games. And I'm having, having a feeling that that's only for males. I just think that it's mostly boys who play video games. Correct. That's exactly what I was trying to get out of my mouth, but didn't come out very well. And the other is, it's just a, an opinion. In my opinion, I believe if you legalize prostitution, then the people who are paying the taxes are going to choke out those that are being illegal. It's the same argument that we could put with, you know, legalizing marijuana or any other um, of these, you know, uh, underground businesses, these underground businesses. sales, you know, make it regulated, you know, make it legal, pay taxes on it. And then, you know, all this other, all these other issues will start to kind of like fall away. Um, but again, you're still always, cause we're never going to make, you know, selling minor children, uh, legal. That's never going to be legal. That's always going to be as, as yeah, it, it, it's sex trafficking. And, and as long as, as long as there is a market for that, it's always going to be a problem and there will always be a market for it. And that's why I really wanted to emphasize, you know, that when it comes to human trafficking and sex trafficking, you know, these are blanket terms and there are so many different, um, levels, degrees of, of what that means. Um, but, you know, I really wanted to kind of talk just a little bit about, like, you know, circumstances that lead into, um, sex trafficking. And, you know, we, we kind of touched on a little bit that, you know, these days a big luring tool is, um, social media and gaming apps. 
And it's just, it's really, really terrifying because back in the days when I was growing up, you had to at least leave your house to be approached by somebody that was, you know, going to, you know, threaten to, to be, you know, somebody that would be a threat to kidnap you or sex traffic or expose you to this lifestyle. But these days, you know, these kids can be sitting in their own living rooms, you know, minding their own business, playing a game. And, you know, just next thing you know, they're exposed to some predator who happens to be on the same line on the same game and lures them into this world. They don't even have to leave their house. The people that I uh, have known personally, and, and yes, I have known some personally who, who have been trafficked and, um, this, I think we all do. Right. It's, it's, it's really so common. And, and I hate to say that, but you know, I think it's, it is common, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that nobody wants to talk about. Um, and you know, victims are embarrassed, ashamed. They feel like they did something wrong. Most of the people who um, you know, end up walking into these kinds of situations. They're, they're runaways. They're juvenile delinquents. They are people who, um, you know, already, right. They're, they already had, um, to, you know, a tumultuous life. They already had, you know, problems at home, you know, and, and a lot of times with the girls, it's, you know, these daddy issues. And so they be, they're very, very vulnerable to, you know, some older man, you know, taking them in and saying, you know, I'll take care of you, you know? And so they become, you know, they're just like these little broken girls that just, um, put their entire lives and their entire souls into the hands of these evil predatory men. Let me say, let me say this. And this, this is what makes the law something that is required to have people to have doctorates, um, uh, to, in order to practice it. Um, it is not, uh, well, how, how am I trying to put this? It is not a definitive line. There's not that definitive of a line between somebody who has a sugar daddy uh, and a prostitute. But yet it's not ill it's not illegal to go out and get involved with an older person, man or woman that you that, who pays your bills. That's not illegal, but now should it be illegal? I mean, and that was the argument to legalize prostitution anyway is is that lawyers would say well you know i you know that's that's the way you argue stuff is you say well gosh judge this happens in normal society every day you know i get up in the morning my wife wants to go shopping she wants to get money from me to go shopping so she has sex with me so i'll give her the money to go shopping you know that you know what what is the difference between that and me going out to a house of ill repute and having a woman that is in there wanting to go shopping when a person is not in their right mind, you know, and, and I'm not just saying, cause a lot of people are just not in their right mind period 24 seven from the day they were born. But, <laughs> um, I mean like, you know, when a person is dependent on somebody, when, when a person is enslaved by somebody, whether it's because this person is pumping them full of drugs to the point where they, they, they couldn't possibly make a decision on their own. Um, but but that the point is is that there aren't hard definitive lines between these issues. That's the problem 
And that's what that's why we have so many laws in the books that that it is reckoned that you that each of us commits seven felonies a day uh, is because that we have to keep passing new laws because people keep finding loopholes and they find loopholes because much of what the government's trying to prohibit is completely copacetic conduct under the different circumstances. And that, that I think I think that we you know we have sufficiently covered this part of it because you know I think we all agree that that is you know that is a decision. There's really no I mean there probably is danger involved with going home with strangers. I'm not saying there's no danger involved, but the real focus again I want to steer us back to is you know children being being sex trafficked. I was a runaway, and you know I. I have a hard time in relationships. And, um, one of the biggest reasons for that is that, um, I am, uh, I have to know every detail of everything. I'm a very, very meticulous, detailed person. And I need that to be, you know, to feel like I'm in control of myself and in control of my life. And even though that has been a very bad quality in my relationships, it's probably the one thing that saved me from becoming enslaved to, uh, in a world of prostitution. And, um, but I did watch a lot of girls around me, you know, fall into that. And I wanted to share a little bit of that because as a runaway, um, those, you know, opportunities presented themselves to me a lot. And, um, I think that, um, you know, to be, to begin with, you know, and, and looking back, you know, there's so many things that like, I didn't recognize for what they were at the time. And, uh, and I think, you know, people just didn't, I mean, now we're more educated and we, and we see things and we understand things, but, you know, back then, and especially as a 16, 17 year old, you know, girl, I didn't, I didn't know what things meant. I didn't know what things were. Um, but you know, like I said, I was a runaway and then, um, I was in the, I was in the system, um, and there are predators, you know, predators love to put themselves in positions uh, throughout the system where they can prey on these people who they know are vulnerable. They're weak, and there was a um, there was actually in the in the youth program that I was involved in. There was a male. His mother was very um, prominent in the community uh, politically. And he was a counselor and, um, I was not one of his victims, but he did lure, um, some of the girls around me and he, um, would have, you know, counseling sessions with them behind closed doors and he would have sex with them and he would, um, give them drugs. And then later from what I understand, um, you know, sell them. Um, and there were, uh, the children's home that I was living at, there were individuals who were staff members there who, um, later in life I, you know, I had run into and they offered me drugs for sex. Um, and these were people who were, you know, my authority figures when I was, when I was a teenager and I, and I had heard and knew that they had given drugs to other girls and whatever. Now later in life, they did offer it to me, but it wasn't at the time, but it kind of confirmed what I had been told. And I guess my whole point of all that is that people just don't understand how common it is. And especially when it comes to children in foster care and in the juvenile system, 
Like there are predators coming at them from every direction. When I was 17 years old, I became an exotic dancer and I did that to support myself. And I had no other way to support myself. And I had a fake ID and I started working at a, a club in a seedy part of my town that I grew up in. And, um, and from there, when I left my hometown, um, at one point I hitchhiked to Illinois to visit some friends that I had met my freshman year when I'd lived with my dad. And my dad, um, put me on a Greyhound bus and sent me back home. But the Greyhound bus didn't take me all the way to St. Joseph, Missouri. It took me to Kansas City, which was 45 minutes south of my hometown. And I didn't have any money to make it the rest of the way. I didn't know how to make it the rest of the way. So I got off of the Greyhound and I walked down uh, Grand and I saw a strip club. And like I said, I had already been dancing at a club in my hometown with a fake ID. So I walked in, I was 17 years old. And this was the first time that I met Shay. And uh, I remember you know, I walked in and I met her. She was a, she was an exotic dancer and she was, I think the most beautiful woman I had ever seen in my life. She looked like Pamela Anderson in her good days. And, um, and I remember looking at her and just thinking, Oh my God, like, I want to be that, like, that's, that's the epitome of what a woman should be. She's voluptuous. She's beautiful. She's graceful. She's sexy, you know, all these things. And, uh, I hope Shay gets to hear this cause I'm sure she'd be blushing, but, um, I did try to reach out to her cause I wanted to interview her and I wasn't successful in doing so. But, um, but this, uh, the story about Shay is really, um, a really heartbreaking one. And, um, she had, you know, we became really quick friends and I was 17 years old, like I said, and I could not get a job at that strip club in Kansas city because my fake ID wouldn't work there. Cause I had to actually go through a, a, a regulatory, um, board that, you know, you couldn't just show them a fake ID. You had to like go through like fingerprinting and everything. And, uh, so I couldn't get a license to work there, but I told her, I said, I don't have any money. I don't have anywhere to stay. Um, I can't get home. And she took me in and, uh, she lived in a rent by the week hotel called Cherry Street Inn. I don't think it's still there, but it was, um, it was down on Grand Street in downtown Kansas City. And, uh, she took me in and I went and stayed with her. And I remember that summer she introduced me to, uh, a woman, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but we did bachelor parties. And I was 17 years old and I remember making $1,500 in a month and thinking, holy shit. And, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was ridiculous, but I mean, the lure of that life for me and for Shay and for anybody else that came from, you know, a childhood where you just felt like you had no control, you, you know, you didn't know. Um, you know, was just, was just to have that freedom, just to be able to take care of yourself, you know, be to, to not have to be, at least for me, it was to not have to be dependent on anybody. And that was $1,500 a month cash money. Yes. $1,500 a month cash money at 17 years old. And, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask you if you filed a tax return. I don't need to know that. 
<laughs> right. But so what what happened with Shay, um, you know, and this really isn't, this is not as much a story about me as it is about Shay. Because, um, you know, I, I, I loved that girl. You know, I really did. My heart just bled for her. I did have to cut her out of my life at some point because she was going to pull me down with her quick and hard. But, um, but she, her story was that she had been molested and raped from a very young age. Her brothers were raping her and she was, you know, going to her father and her father didn't believe her. He wouldn't protect her. This went on for a a great deal of her life. And then at some point she broke away. She went and became an exotic dancer. Um, She got, and then she developed a really bad drug habit. And this is where her and I kind of went, we kind of split ways because while I'm not going to say I never experiment, experimented, I will say that I never lost myself. Um, I've never allowed myself to become so out of control in anything because I'm, I'm a control freak. <laughs> and, um, and that's, again, like I was saying earlier, you know, it's a bad quality in relationships, a very good, it's probably what saved my life in these situations because I would never let myself lose control. And I would l- never in a million fucking years, let somebody take control of me. But I have a question for you. Yes. As much as you, you love Shay, and I understand that love, you needed her. She supplied you with a place to stay, and she took care of you. And this she took other care of me, yes. Girl, you were kind of groomed to go in and do these bachelor parties because they knew you would be the money. They, I think they expected me to, to do the drugs and to get addicted, and I didn't. Um, so I was able to make my money and get out. But you had an emotional attachment to that person. She developed a, a, she developed a heroin problem. And at some point, uh, and this is, this is over the course of, of, of a couple years. And, um, I, you got to remember I was 17 years old when I met her is the summer between my junior and senior year. So I still had to go back home and, and finish high school. Um, so at the end of the summer, I went back home, I finished high school, um, I graduated and then I went back to Kansas city and, uh, stayed with her again. Um, I became, you know, and, and from the time I left to the time I came back, Shay had, um, deteriorated a lot. Um, she had gotten and she was, she was, um, not a lesbian, but she was bisexual. And she had gotten into a relationship with a, with a female basketball player who was very abusive. And so when I came back and I was staying with them, I spent a great deal of my time protecting her from the abuse of, of her basketball player girlfriend. And so it became a different kind of relationship really fast to where I, you know, I had to like take care of her, you know. Um, but she had gotten to the point where she was so dependent on drugs that like we would, and and she was also suicidal. Like we would get in fights because she would turn the gas on the stove and tell me if I didn't want to die, I needed to leave. And I wouldn't leave, but I, but we would fight so that I, you know, because I'd have to turn off the gas so we didn't die. 
Um, so we'd get in like physical fights over me trying to turn off the gas and, and then we'd get in fights because she'd want me to take her to buy drugs. I wouldn't do it. Um, she'd get in my, I mean, it was just one thing after the other. And it got to the point where I separated myself completely. Um, she got clean. And then a couple years later, we became, we started hanging out again and, um, she had gotten herself involved with a, with a pimp. Um, I, I'm sorry. I thought she was clean, but she wasn't, <laughs> I guess I should have specified that. But, um, she, this is where, this is where it really starts going downhill for Shay. Um, and again, this is over the, over the course of years. Um, but her drug habit got worse and worse and she wanted me to meet her boyfriend and, um, her boyfriend was actually her pimp. I did not know that. And she tells me he's got a lot of money. Oh, and by the way, Shay, I told you she was beautiful. I, I, <laughs> I hung out with Shay one time while she, she had many celebrity boyfriends. We hung out with Cecil Fielder, Charlie Hayes, Alex Rodriguez, Harvey Smith, um, like some of the people that I, that I met with her are just like, you would not believe, you know, but I mean, she was gorgeous and, um, she introduced, introduces me to this, uh, boyfriend that supposedly had like all this money and was just this, you know, a lister celebrity, whatever. And I don't know if he was a celebrity. I don't think he was, but he, you know, did come across as being, you know, very, very uh, powerful and, and, and rich, but he took a shopping and he bought me a bunch of clothes and he bought her a bunch of clothes. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, I mean, are you just doing this for me for free? I mean, like you're just giving me all the stuff. And he said, um, it's an investment. <laughs> no, an investment, investment. An investment in getting laid. <laughs> it's an investment. But I, I, I mean, I never had sex with I know, him. No, but I I'm, I'm not, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that he would, that doesn't mean that he wasn't right. intending on that. That's sort of. Right. Well, this is, this is when I really, this is when I really. I'm going to start telling my what, wife, this is an investment. This is an investment. <laughs> right. So, um, so at the time I was dating a guy. And he and I went with his family um, to visit his um, grandma in New Mexico. And it, actually, we went all over the country, but we ended up in New Mexico. And I talked to Shay, and she, she wanted me to fly to, I don't remember where she was, but wherever she was, she wanted me to fly there. And her, it was her and her boyfriend, you know, pimp, but I thought it was her boyfriend. But um, she wanted me to fly there to be with them. And, uh, and like I said, he had bought me all these clothes and stuff. And, um, she said, well, you know, we bought you a plane ticket and, you know, here's the information. We'll pick you up, whatever. I mean, this is so many years ago. I can't even remember. Like I said, I can't remember where it was that they bought me a ticket to, but I just got a terrible feeling and I didn't want to go. I, I can't even, <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, I really must have some guardian angels because this isn't the first time in my life and wasn't the last time in my life when I probably was about to make a very, very bad decision and I would just get a bad feeling and not do it. And, um, and I just got this terrible feeling and I'm like, I don't, I just didn't want to go. So I didn't. And, um, and I called her and I said, I'm sorry. I just, I can't, 
I said, I'll, I'll pay, you know, I'll pay you back. And she's like, no. And he gets on the phone and he says, don't worry about paying me back. I'm about to take it out of her fucking ass. Oh. And I never saw her or him again, but I did talk to her again years later. And this was about 2015. She found me on Facebook and she reached out to me and she, she knew, I guess she had, um, she had followed me or found me or whatever. And she real she knew that I had gotten involved with the Q center for missing persons. And she knew that I was an advocate you know, I was, I was an advocate against sex trafficking and that, you know, um, that I involved myself with all these causes in my life. And, and she reached out to me and wanted me to be there for her while she went to court to testify against her pimp. And she told me this, these horrifying accounts after we had gone separate ways of her, she was so strung out on heroin that she was, she didn't have money for anything but heroin. Like she would only, you know, she would every, every dime she'd get, she'd spend it on heroin, but she didn't even have enough money to buy like condoms, you know, to, to do, to pull her tricks to buy her drugs. So she was like giving blow jobs with saran wrap and she would wake up in dumpsters with needles in her arm. And she said, um, that, you know, she just, she loved me and she missed me and she needed me and she was about to go to court. She had been busted. This guy, she was, she, she had been, they were going to charge her because she was his groomer and that he was facing all this time. Well, she was terrified of him because she had literally watched him kill She was, yeah, she was always a groomer, but I think, you know, it just got worse. Like, um, you know, as time went on and her drug addiction got worse and worse, but I really wasn't a good candidate, you know, again, because even though, um, I came from a certain lifestyle that would have been suitable and, you know, perfect for somebody to go into sex trafficking, I have always been a control freak. I have always been, you know, um, my, when my stepfather threw me up against a wall and put his hand around my throat, I fucking told him you better kill me. Cause if you don't, you'll wake up with a knife in your fucking back. And I've never been a person to bow down. I'll die before I bow down. And that's always been my position. That's always been my attitude. And it's the only thing that saved me. Um, that, and, uh, I guess, you know, not becoming an addict to the point where, um, you know, I lose myself, but, but, um, but they're just, you know, like Shay, you know, she was just, she didn't have that fight for whatever reason. She did not have that fight. As an adult, you could look back at your 17 year old self and see what was happening. But at the time you couldn't. And that's, that's the point is how do we, how do we catch these kids before they look onto an online game and these people promise them this great life and their life is probably pretty crappy, but it's nowhere near as crappy as, as it's going to be 
being sex trafficked. Of course, they don't realize that's going to happen, but how do you reach these kids before they get sucked into that computer? It's almost like that movie Jumanji. You know, they just get sucked into the game. They get sucked into the life. I think the biggest problem um, is that people are afraid to talk about it. Most victims never speak up when they are being or have been victimized. But if you are being victimized or have been a victim of sex trafficking, you shouldn't be scared or ashamed to speak up about that because you're not alone. There are plenty of places to go for help, plenty of people to talk to. If you or someone you know is a victim of human trafficking, or if you suspect that someone is being trafficked, please call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. They are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All right, and we love you here at The Final Report, and we'll see you next week. Well, we want to thank you for joining our very special version of The Final Report tonight, all about sex trafficking. Until we meet again, I'm Fletcher Long, and with me is Heather Cohen and Tracy Ellis, and keep it between the ditches.